Hello and welcome to Basic Sports Talk Show, USA Today Baseball Editor Gabe Lax along with Kelly Stratton. Episode 58, and uh, me and Gigi, I do a little bit of research on this. I don't have a 58 on the top of mind right now. Jack oh. Lambert, was he a 58? Yes, sir. All right, for yeah. all you old school Steeler fans out there, but uh, I just... I believe, uh, maybe Jonathan Papelbon. Yeah. Jonathan Papelbon. I, just <laughs> one of those things, as we were about to start recording, I thought, I don't have a number. I don't have a number. I don't have a name to a number. But uh, I do remember Jack Lambert uh, from the uh, old, well, Steelers dynasty, along with the Lynn Swans and uh, Terry Bradshaw's uh, back of the day. But hey... We're back. I want to thank everyone for joining episode 58. I know it's been a couple weeks, but uh, Mead, you've been on the road down in the minor leagues a little bit. We had uh, Major League Baseball's trade deadline, and um, last night we were going to record, but I was out downtown Denver last night. If you guys get a chance or anyone listening in Denver, check out Street Feud, uh, a fellow Aptosian of uh, Gabe and I's hometown, Merlin Verrier, Chef Merlin Verrier. Has uh, opened up his uh, take on street food around the world and opened up a little shop there in uh, I think it's called the Avanti, but it's a it's a collective of actually different restaurants all in one location. It's really cool outdoor venue, really close to uh, Coors Field and uh, not too far from Pepsi Center as well too. So if you get a chance, go check out his place. We got to uh, a little sneak preview last night of a little friends and family that we got invited to, and we were really really stoked to be there and. Um, it was fun just to see some familiar faces, and it's just fun to see people that you kind of – they were a few years behind us, I think three or so, uh, but it's fun to see some familiar faces and see kind of people from the hometown expanding and in uh, new areas. The food hall thing is definitely like the thing, you know. It's a interesting, interesting concept. You get a few things into one space rather than yeah. – uh, and I imagine probably makes for better profitability slash uh, viability for places if they can share a lot of the costs. So uh, it's yeah. and while giving you a chance to uh, potentially sample a lot of different flavors in one spot. So it's really cool. It's, there's like a bar in the middle of the kind of area. It's an upstairs downstairs. So there's like one bar, but then there's like three kind of restaurants, uh, you know, built around it in a way. Uh, and it's just kind of walk-up fair. You're not like, but they have open seating, you know, outside and a little stadium-style seating out there as well too, which is kind of fun. Uh, I mean, you look actually just a great view of downtown Denver and um, and Coors Field. I think Billy Joel was playing last night, so we saw the lights on and people starting to fill in for that. So uh, really fun. So if you get a chance, go check it out. Or if you're coming through Denver, please check it out as well. But I uh, want to thank them for inviting us down to the uh, to the soft opening, and I think they go lot. They're going live today, actually. So uh, so good luck to those guys. Um, he has a partner, Brian Gordon, who's also from Aptos. Uh, so really cool uh, to see those guys out here and see some people that you grew up with from back in the day. So fun to do that. But um, I know you've been busy, Meech. I know we were really busy during the trade deadline because we thought things were going to start happening. And I know that's part of the reason we kind of delayed uh, some of the recording. Again, as we kind of mentioned last episode, you know, when so much stuff happens so quickly, it's like, well, let's wait till this happens. Well, let's wait till this happens, <laughs> you know. But it's maybe one of the – What's Grab that? a butterfly, like yeah. Kind of, yeah, or a firefly, snatch <laughs> them out of midair. Yep. So I kind of <laughs> first, I kind of want to get your take on the overall on the trade deadline. If it met your expectations, above, below, or was kind of a, a snoozer. Um, but then also maybe let's go into let's start off with the with the Giants because 
of maybe what didn't happen. They were actually super active at the trade deadline, but the biggest transaction was probably not trading uh, Madison Bumgarner, who threw uh, seven innings of one-hit ball versus the Phillies last night. And it's uh, about what you might have anticipated, as we discussed, I think, uh, last episode. You could uh, conceivably flip a reliever to another team while maintaining uh, your bullpen, and they actually did that a, a couple times uh, with Drew Pomeranz and uh, and Sam Dyson both, uh, but maintained Will Smith. And, I, yeah, it, it's sort of playing both sides of the ball, and it's not a bad strategy. It keeps yourself viable for this year, and, and uh, obviously they reaped the benefits last night with uh, Madison Bumgarner just giving up one hit and uh, what was uh, – you could call a key victory over the the Phillies, whom they're of course uh, battling for the wild card with. But yeah, I I think both from the Giants' standpoint and the big picture, I'm not not too surprised about about what I would have anticipated. So uh, yeah, but definitely interesting times uh, going forward here. So when you look at what uh, Farhan Zidi did, and to your point, it was kind of maybe along the lines of what we thought, where, hey, if you can grab a few prospects but keep Bumgarner, they're still not completely out of the wild card. Obviously, there are some teams they have to leapfrog. But look, there are close enough um, to kind of keep everything interested. I'm not going to lie. Did the MLB uh, Prime, Amazon Prime seven-day free trial package just so i can see the series i'm not going to go all in but i never would have done that probably two (laughs) months ago uh you know when things are out but based on what we knew of zd and what he was going to try to do um this is kind of i mean this is what he does right You, you get a couple pieces to add a few more uh, he's got some guys with some power numbers uh, in the minor leagues. I think uh, Jalen Davis, I think is his name, from the Twins, um, who actually now I think Duggar re-injured his shoulders. He might be out. You might even see him a little bit sooner than later. you got Scooter Jeanette, who is probably a rental. Um, they DFA'd Joe Panic, who, uh, you know, 2014 was huge. But he never just – I mean, and Brian Blair, if he were on as well. But we've, we've been humping for him for several years now. Like, this is the year. This is Panic's year. And it just it never really happened. And uh, and so I think they kind of had to cut bait. And as much as it was, you know, sorry to see him go, I, I, I can't really – you can't really argue with it because he hasn't really done anything. But, um, you know, Jeanette, he's going to have to be re-signed because he will be a free agent at the end of the year. But uh, it's, it's a nice flyer there. But what do you – was uh, – were there any surprises in what he did or if, uh, if uh, ZD was kind of like uh, pulled a, you know, that's who we thought he was? Well, I think the the biggest sort of uh, connecting thing with him, and, and you look at I'll always look at the Dodgers because that's where he came from, and, and they operate similarly. Uh, I think the biggest thing is you know he's a guy who's going to hold the line if there's not a deal there. You know, there's so many GMs who can get caught up in making a deal just to make a deal, and uh, probably could have sold Bumgarner for eighty cents on the dollar or whatever, but. I, I think if there was a deal to be made for Bumgarner, he would have made it. Uh, but you know why? Uh, why sell yourself short? Uh, you know he's. It's funny because he'll ultimately, as we've talked about, churn through a large volume of transactions. But uh, yeah, when it comes to the biggest pieces, hold them tightly and and don't uh, don't make a foolish move and and make a good baseball trade if it's there. But uh, you know at the same time that nobody's forcing you to do anything, and that's. That's why this thing can seem so methodical sometimes, because sometimes there's these 
a flurry of minor things, and then uh, and then the the big thing never really happens. So that's just kind of the nature of how this goes. So I think it was it was pretty well true to form when you look at adding uh, you know complementary pieces in the in the mode of a scooter Jeanette, which uh, sort of uh, dovetails with the the Kevin Pillars and the Yastrzemskis and the Dickersons of the world uh, that have uh, kind of buttressed the team already. So yeah, he as far as first times go, uh, I think this is kind of what you you could expect from him but of course every year is different in terms of the complexion of the team and where the organization's at so uh but it, yeah overall i i think he he did pretty well and this is about what uh, what you might have expected from him so probably the biggest you know uh transaction that happened is is uh zach Grinke going to the houston astros but you know as you're you know, I wouldn't say, I guess, sitting around the phone or, or watching the uh, the rumors go around and fly. Did everything happen kind of as expected? Was the Granky trade to the Astros a bit of a surprise to you? Was the lack of trades by uh, the Red Sox a surprise to you? What, what were kind of the high points and or maybe like questionable um, transactions that maybe didn't happen that you expected to? The, the Grinky deal was definitely a stunner, especially uh, because the the Astros usually play it pretty close to the vest, and uh, for them to to give up the prospect capital that they did and take on you know all the money that they did, uh, yeah, I mean I, I really like it just because it, it kind of seemed like okay, you know the the Astros are going to you know, obviously one of the most analytical teams in baseball probably most advanced i mean them and the dodgers are just so far ahead of the field in terms of uh, identifying talent drafting and developing talent uh, everything that they do uh, is just uh, so far ahead of the curve but uh, yeah i mean they, they gave up three pretty good prospects and another guy for for Granky and took on 30 million dollars plus a year uh, to really make a run at it the next couple of years and in particular these last two months because they'll, they'll also have garrett cole so that was that was surprising and pretty cool. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the Astros are showing that they're not just robots. <laughs> they do care about winning, and uh, and they're really going to take a, a really strong run at it this year. And, uh, yeah, right now it's uh, it's tough to imagine anybody beating them in the in the American League. Overall, I mean, you know, everybody, everybody wants, kind of like the winter meetings, everybody wants the trade deadline to fill a certain news vacuum or whatnot. But uh, just the, the state of the game the way it is right now, Teams probably overvaluing their prospects. Uh, so many teams. I mean, there, there weren't as many tankers this year, and the tankers didn't have very good players. I mean, the, the Tigers traded Shane Green and Nick Castellanos, uh, guys that probably aren't going to make or break anybody's pennant drive. Uh, so you, know, you just sort of go from the bottom up and think, okay, well, there's not a you know who on the Kansas City Royals is going to put anybody over the top. You right. know that that, right. that those matches just weren't there. So. You know, again, if there's if there's no deal to be made, uh, you know, fold up your cards and try again uh, next time. So one of the surprises, at least for me anyway, it, it does kind of have to do with the Giants, but it's not necessarily a Giants uh, move and what they got. But I was surprised that the Braves picked up Melanson and also the rest of his $18 million contract. Yes, and that's uh, that's a big win <laughs> for uh, uh, for the Giants there. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of what you want to do too is take advantage, if you will, of a uh, somewhat desperate team uh, or at least a team with money to burn. And the, the Braves have been pretty careful in terms of avoiding long term commitments. So uh, yeah, at this point in time, their their mo is well, let's burn money and not prospects. And that's uh, you know that's kind of what they did with Melanson. Let's take on this bad salary, give up relatively little, 
and uh, hope that we can get this guy right, and then he can get some big outs for us uh, down the stretch and, and, and probably in the playoffs. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, hopefully if, as a contending team, you don't give up money and prospects. Uh, so in the case of, uh, you know, the Giants, a pretty big addition by subtraction there. And, you know, it, it could definitely make a difference in terms of, uh, you know, how they might feel in the offseason. You know, you open up that money. It's, what, about $14, $15 million for next year. So that's uh, – it doesn't hurt. It certainly gets the, the books in order in the short term and uh, gives them a little bit of roster flexibility uh, overall so that you can suddenly get him, you know, kind of out of your hair off the 40-man roster and, and continue to – to fiddle and, and tweak uh, with uh, you know with your organization at large. Well, one saving grace for the Giants seems to have been, even though they have maybe not guys that were movers and shakers in terms of what you would get back outside of Bumgarner, but they did seem to have uh, some confidence in some bullpen arms that they have currently, but also that if they did trade them, i.e. like a Sam Dyson who went to Minnesota, they have guys maybe in AAA, AA that they thought would be at least – just as good and that maybe shows a little bit of um, depth that I don't think Giants fans kind of thought they had and I think it's because they look at the lack of position players left fielders etc that maybe you hadn't seen come up through the system but that maybe some maybe their maybe their farm system wasn't quite as depleted or at least it just if if it was it was only in specific position player areas and maybe they had a few more arms and maybe they thought in a little bit more depth than maybe we thought. Yeah, and you can never have too many power arms, of course. Uh, and bullpens are just, you know, such a pain <laughs> year to year. You know, the, the performance and the volatility of those guys, which is uh, why I thought it was wise that, uh, say, a team like the Dodgers didn't overspend for uh, a big-time reliever, even a guy under club control like Felipe Vasquez of the uh, of the Pirates, simply because – you know, maybe he isn't that great a year from now. It's a, uh, it's so tricky. But uh, identifying bullpen pieces that are keepers and that can be good year to year, um, yeah, that's uh, that's certainly a skill that uh, that you hope uh, that you hope he can develop for the Giants' sake. Well, you look at the races now in the American League and National League, and there really aren't any if you look at it. The, the races are really going to be built around the wild card. I guess the one that we're really keeping an eye on is American League Central, where Cleveland's only a game behind uh, Minnesota. And, and I guess the National League Central, where Milwaukee's only three and a half behind Chicago. But when you look at how these teams are built um, – you know, the, the the Yankees, you're not going to catch them. Uh, Atlanta, Washington, although they swept the Giants, they'd really have to go on a run to catch uh, uh, the uh, Braves there. And the Dodgers are not going to get caught, obviously, with uh, Arizona 18 back and in second place. So when you look at these races now as we come down to the final, you know, couple months of the season, uh, are you focusing really as, especially as a national writer, do you kind of start whittling down who you're uh, flipping on uh, TV in the morning? And I guess luckily with the Nationals being right in your backyard and them only five games out, that you know provides a, a story point for you there. But other than that, are you kind of just looking at the, uh, the central races there in the National and American League? And even look ahead to the playoffs and, and how things might shake out. You know, it's uh, interesting to sort of revisit the, the matchups and rematches that might occur. Uh, you know, who, who are the Dodgers? The Dodgers obviously are going to get the wild card winner. So uh, who that is really can can frame, you know, what happens going forward. And, and the bigger question, too, is what what shape will the wild card winner be in uh, coming out of it? So, 
if it is the Nationals and they do win the wild card, that will definitely pose a bit of a challenge for the Dodgers because uh, if Max Scherzer gets back healthy, then they could burn him in the wild card game and still have two really great starters and Steven Strasburg and, and Patrick Corbin to uh, you know get, get into the uh, division series with. So it, it wouldn't necessarily put them at a massive disadvantage. Uh, and then on the on the other side of the coin, same thing with the Astros. How how difficult or how easy will it be once uh, once a wild card survivor emerges? And uh, I think a, a key guy to really watch down the stretch is Corey Kluber of the Indians. Uh, he's been he's been out a while. He's getting close to getting back. They traded Trevor Bauer because they needed uh, outfield depth and actually outfield at all. <laughs> period. So uh, you know the, their ace has uh, now been this. Uh, shaggy-haired fellow named Mike Clevinger, who is really dominant and really made some strides, kind of learned a lot of things from Trevor Bauer. But, uh, you know, the, he, right now he's their number one starter. But if uh, if Corey Kluber can come back as a two-time Cy Young winner, uh, not only that would would that help them uh, chase down the Twins, but if they uh, somehow do get into, into a wild-card situation, that would give them another, you know, number one type guy to start game one of a division series after potentially winning a wild card spot so yeah you sort of look ahead to matchups and, and how those might play out uh, uh yeah i think i think the cubs will probably pull away i mean the, the cardinals really had a nice run uh, coming out of the break but then really hit a wall out west against the a's and dodgers so it's uh it's going to be pretty interesting in those divisions but uh i think the greater bigger picture thing is just how these teams will present themselves uh, as they uh, head into that first First round of the playoffs and the wild card game before that. So when you start looking at it from your job perspective, where do you start? I mean, I know you're going to travel probably a little bit, but where, I mean, I, I guess as a family guy, you'd be stoked if the Nationals popped <laughs> in there because you're not going anywhere if that's the case. But are you starting to map out where you're going to uh, be sitting here in uh, in uh, late September, early October? A little bit, especially the the World Series. You know, you kind of like, okay, that's going to be the you know the, the big the big one there. And uh, yeah, you, you sort of keep an eye on hotel rooms in certain cities. Uh, it's tricky now though uh, with the the best record team getting the home field, so you don't fully know until just a couple days ahead of time. But uh, it's kind of hard to tell too what the most compelling storylines will be. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, it, the Red Sox uh, may not make it, may not get past the uh, the wild card round. So, you know, does a Yankees-Indians ALCS, ALDS really, uh, you know, really get anybody's blood pumping, you know? Uh, it's it's hard to sort of tell what will emerge uh, until it's kind of happening. So you, you kind of project and plan the best you can, but then uh, – you know, who, who knows where the action will be if, if the Dodgers or Astros are suddenly on the ropes, uh, un, unforeseen. It's a, it's a tricky kind of, you know, kind of thing to, to sort of plot. But, yeah, you uh, you try to make the most of planning and, and see where the, uh, you know, see where the, the shiny objects lead you. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, to me... I think you know when you see teams like Cleveland, Minnesota, it just it just throws in such a nice you know variable into the traditional you know uh, Yankees, Red Sox, etc. I think it was fun even when Kansas City uh, was in it for a couple of years. Obviously, the Giants played them one year, but it was just nice. It's just nice to see some different teams, right? It so. is, and uh, yeah, and that's harder and harder each uh, each year with uh, the tanking and all that. It's kind of funny the uh, <laughs> the Blue Jays. Uh, had kind of a press briefing with their club president yesterday. And uh, 
They're 47 and 71. They're 31 games out of first place. They have this amazing young core. Uh, Bo, you know, all children of, of ex big leaguers. Bo Bichette right. uh, just set a record for. I think it's 11 consecutive games with hits, I think, to start or, or, an, or an extra base hit even. It's yeah. ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. And uh, obviously Vlad Jr. and, uh, you know, Kevin uh, Biggio. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, the club president Mark Shapiro basically said, well, next year's free agent class isn't too inspiring either. And it's like, OK, <laughs> all right, we're just going to, uh, you know, be a, a 400 team for. Yeah, so it's 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 tough. Like, okay, this is this is what a lot of teams have committed to. And uh, but what's funny is you look at those free agents, though, Gabe. People aren't signing them. So I, I, I think do you, do you not see that as kind of an oxymoron in the sense that's like you're complaining about the free agent class, but this is also the ownership of the Major League Baseball who won't sign anyone, you know, through the entire spring training and until right. we get into the first twenty games of the season. You'd think there would be opportunity there, you know. It's uh, yeah, and, and I mean, there's you know, just to use another example close to home here, there is one really great guy who looks like he is going to become a free agent, and that's Anthony Rendon, you know, who uh, you know with the Washington yeah. Nationals, who has patiently waited and saw Nolan Arenado get 260 million, and now he's in line for yeah, maybe not that much, but uh, obviously a pretty good payday, but. The the fact that a team like the Blue Jays, like he's a very good player and he makes the free agent class pretty good. But the fact that a team like the Blue Jays would just automatically consider themselves out of that competition, you know, like, well, we couldn't possibly do that. No, you could. You know, you own all of Canada. You're owned by basically the Verizon of Canada. Right. You know, you, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> and and it's really hard to turn the boat around when you're, you know, when you finally decide, let's try to win. You know, it's yeah. uh, yeah. Much easier said than done. Not everybody's the Astros. <laughs> well, and kind of staying with the theme of some of these teams tanking or complaining about free agent class and, you know, maybe where they're going to be already in 2020, even down into 2021. Um, you had an article that kind of hit uh, a few points on the size of the crowds that are at some of these stadiums. Obviously, Skydome, one of the larger uh, stadiums in Major League Baseball. But um, talk to us a little about the article that, and if you guys haven't seen it, check out uh, USA Today, uh, you know, in the sports section, obviously. But the article that you uh, put together regarding not only the stadiums and the current state of attendance, but maybe the future of stadiums. And and you're not going to see the Sky Domes anymore. Those are those were a thing in the past for a baseball only type uh, field. You're not going to see fifty, sixty thousand. Uh, uh, capacity stadiums anymore? No, or even forty-five or forty thousand. It's uh, it, it it's kind of funny because we don't really realize it, but we are we are in the midst of another ballpark kind of wave. Yeah, you kind of think, okay, the the Great Camden Yards wave that produced that field and and Cleveland and uh, you know obviously San Francisco and San Diego and Coors Field and everything else. And hey, great, you know, well, we're we're all set. Well, you know, owners get fidgety, <laughs> consumer habits change and uh you know so suddenly you look up and the braves have a new ballpark and the rangers have a new ballpark and uh the angels want to significantly renovate their ballpark and the diamondbacks think that their park is too big uh so suddenly you know you look up and uh, in this decade we may see as many as like a third of the uh you know of the stadium switch over if the uh, a's ever get anything done and if the you know the rays either move or get something done or whatever but uh i think yeah that- it's the plans I saw for the A's was maybe thirty-eight thousand, I think, capacity or something uh, yeah. like that. Yeah, roughly, thirty-four thousand even. Wow. Yeah, which 
And and therein lies some of the problem too. Is uh, again, uh, attendance is down. Uh, so you're not going to craft a 45,000 seat stadium, but at the same time, if you're talking 34,000, uh, that's really going to jack up ticket prices and that, which is what teams want. They want right. to, uh, you know, cr- create that scarcity so that you're compelled to buy tickets and, uh, you know, lock in the season ticket holders and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, this is the, this is the problem with baseball is, you know, the industry has been so consumed with short term revenues, uh, in terms of tickets uh, that they they kind of lose track of the big picture, uh, which is to say, you know, if you don't make the game accessible uh, to families, you're not going to get the young fan. And uh, you know, my whole thing is like, look, if you if all the money is in television and the viewing experience is so great at home and and all that is fine and it, that all makes sense. And TV ratings, local TV ratings, have been very good for a lot of teams. You wouldn't necessarily think you know like just to use another example cleveland like their tv ratings have been great while their their gate has kind of uh, been tough to uh, to crack even with a good team but if you don't get young people and families into the park they probably don't become tv viewers later right. and we don't know that now for right. sure uh but uh you know obviously you know let's fast forward a generation and this this you know group of uh you know, fans that maybe aren't taking their kids to the park as much as, as maybe when we were kids, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe they're not watching TV in, in 20 years. So it's a, it's an interesting pivot point in the industry. Well, and, you know, and let's just take it back to, you know, whatever, 35 years ago or whatever that was. And, uh, you know, we, you and I, uh, obviously grew up going to games at Candlestick. I can remember a couple, uh, times heading there with my parents, um and sitting you know uh, up up high but you know it's it wasn't necessarily about uh at least for us as kids too and i think this is something that parents tend to forget and for all you parents out there trust me this is still true you just wanted to be in the ballpark you right. just wanted to see the game you wanted to know that you were in the exact same place as where your heroes were it wasn't about whether we were sitting in box seats three rows back behind the dugout at that age so from a baseball and for children and for kids to grow up in the game, yes, is it probably a little bit easier to keep their attention when you're closer to the action? Absolutely. But, you know, as you get a little bit older, maybe 10, and you were just, you know, uh, in the midst of your little league career and you just love the game of baseball, you just wanted to be at the field. It wasn't about how close I was or how close we were. Now, as you got a little older, I absolutely agree. You know, you want to sit a little closer. Maybe you have your own job and you can pay an extra five bucks to get – but, you know, an extra five bucks was probably an $8 seat to a $15 seat. And that got you to the second level or, you know, the lower bowl. Whereas, like, that's right. not necessarily the case anymore. <laughs> no, that, now it's going from a $30 seat to a $100 seat. And it's, uh, yeah, and, and that's kind of the way these stadiums have been destru- constructed, too. It's a, a kind of a concept I like to call the death of the second deck <laughs> because right. now it's field level. And then typically a suite level, and then uh-huh. you know, and then the upper level, and there aren't a ton of upper level seats. Which right. uh, when people, you know, when people say, "Hey, I'm going to go check out an A's game," you know, where should I sit? I always tell them sit in the second deck because it is a relic. You know, it's uh, it's the 200 level at Oakland Coliseum, and they're beautiful seats. Uh, right. They're right uh, right behind home plate, amazing foul ball territory. Uh, you know, it's a great bird's eye view, but it lacks the the premier pricing that uh, field level seats will, will, will be. But, uh, 
you know, that's a, that's not a, it's just also not a view you can get in any other ballpark unless you have a, you know, likely a season ticket or a suite uh, kind of situation. So it's, uh, it's tough. You're, you're sort of, uh, you know, faced with going as bargain basement as you can uh, versus really splurging and spending a couple to a few hundred dollars to take, uh, you know, two to four to however many people to a game. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, they need, they need to find access points as they might call it <laughs> for, uh, you know, for, for people of all, all income levels and, uh, and not overprice things too much. Uh, yeah. Cause yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a slow bleed. Yeah. I mean, it's almost as if like, can you not do something almost where like, you know, uh, the the more the more people that go, the less your tickets are. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, if it's just you and I, we want to sit a little bit lower. We'll we'll pay thirty bucks. But you know, something where, hey, if you're a family and you got two kids, maybe you pay twenty dollars. You know, and you sit right. in the same spot just because you want to get. It's not necessarily. And to your point, you're talking about short term revenue, but you're talking about getting those other two kids in the ballpark so that they're right. going to bring their kids to the ballpark. You have to get them there. Absolutely. And even to the extent of, uh, you know, eventually those, you know, I mean, what accounts for so many season tickets and suites is uh, corporations, you know, obviously. And right. so, you know, those kids are going to grow up and have jobs and maybe, uh, you know, that job will have a season ticket account for, you know, let's just say the Warriors and the A's and, uh, you know, the Sharks and if that kid is 25, 30 years old and they say, Hey, we got some A's tickets tonight, you know, and huh, whatever, you know, <laughs> you know, that then suddenly that corporation realizes, well, you know, nobody seems to want these tickets anymore. You know I mean? It's, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's, it's a matter of just exposure and uh, socialization into the game. Uh, and that goes for playing it as well. You know, and I think from what I can tell, baseball is really doing all the right things with trying to promote the playing of the game with you know these various play ball initiatives and all that kind of stuff. And and there may yet be a bump uh, from obviously we've talked about it a lot on this show is uh, you know the the fear of football and declining numbers there and uh, you know the you know fretting about uh, children getting brain injuries uh, you know playing football too young so. Right. You know, it's a, there's so many factors that, uh, you know, who knows what, you know, what direction this is all going, but, uh, you know, uh, you might as well make the game accessible if, uh, you know, if your house isn't full anyway. Well, you know, you're talking about, uh, some of those, you know, that access accessibility and promoting the game to the younger generation. One of the things that I saw that sounds like they've been doing it for a couple of years. This is maybe the third year, uh, is doing a major league baseball game, little league a little league focus where all the fans are little leaguers. Uh, I think they have about 2000 fans. They play a major league baseball game at a minor league field. It's actually Bowman field in Williamsport where I, where I actually played uh, as well when I was back in the New York Penn league. Um, so I, I, I know exactly where it is in the field. Obviously it's been renovated a little bit since then, but I, you know, obviously regionally, we don't probably hear about it out on the West uh, as much, but I'm curious if, if you have been to it or, or any thoughts about it. To me, it seemed like a fantastic idea. You know, you pack 2,000 little leaguers into a, a minor league stadium, and, I mean, they're going to get – and speaking of some of these kids who maybe haven't gotten that close to the major league game before, it's got to be a completely different perspective and uh, creates a lot more excitement and, and in a really cool uh, field and atmosphere. And I think it's really key, uh, not just for the kids that get to go, but, uh, you know, the whole presentation of it to, to make that connection from the big leagues to little league, because it is, 
you know, it's miles and miles away. They all away. started there. They all they, yeah, started there, right. you know, yep. for, at least U.S. It. players for the most part. But Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, it kind of conjures up those feelings of nostalgia. And, uh, you know, when you're, you're 12 years old and, and kind of at the height of your youth powers, you know, that's always a great year. You know, it's right. like you, you remember, oh, yeah, I could actually hit them, <laughs> whatever <laughs> the case may be or all that, or if you made all-stars or you didn't or whatever. And so it is kind of cool to see, you know, the, the current major leaguers thrust into that role. And you can kind of sense that they're, you know, it brings them back some. And uh, and that's a really uh, – it's a it's a pretty brilliant thing, and and then just to uh, to humanize them a little bit and uh, and see them interact with uh, with kids from all over the world. You know, right. there's obviously a handful of I think eight U.S. teams make it, and then obviously the the various uh, territories around the world that that get there as well. So it's a, it, yeah, it's a it's a pretty good stroke of, of marketing genius. It looks really cool visually, and uh, yeah, I can't remember who it is uh, this year, but next year they're going to bring in the Red Sox, which uh, which will be a nice. Uh, Nice big thing, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I think it's it's pretty uh, pretty brilliant uh, thing, and uh, yeah, those I think those really are the the kinds of things that uh, that need to make uh, you know make the game grow a bit, and yeah, you know, and there's things you can do. I mean, you you're not gonna you're never gonna throw on the pads and uh, <laughs> you know play eleven on eleven football <laughs> as an adult. Uh, you know, you're never going to dunk a basketball, but you can you can always hit a baseball, you know, right. and you can always yeah. kind of take it back to that point in time. You can always so. play catch. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, I mean, I can tell you when we did play Williamsport, I think it was the Williamsport Cubs back then. I, I don't okay. know who they're affiliated with now. Um, but the first thing uh, I wanted to do uh, was to go see the Little League field. You know, when we were at the at the right. uh, at the, I mean, because that's where you know, and, and as a minor league baseball player at that time, being whatever I was, twenty one years old or whatever I was, to your point, the nostalgia, you know, that it's kind of like I was more excited, and I don't remember for anyone. I'm sure there was a few of us that went over to check out the field because none of us ever played there or got there, but it was what you watched as a 12 right. year old absolutely uh, and when you played all-stars and you kept track when we lost to our final all-star game to whomever we lost to you kind of kept track of of that group uh and how far they got i had an uncle who actually did play in williamsport didn't make it to the uh to the actual championship uh but but got very close and played in williamsport for the little league world series and it was amazing to go see and think like yeah this is where it all started and now here i am getting played to pay, to play uh, albeit very little, but being a professional baseball player, this is where it started. This is where it happened, and that was a, an amazing feeling. Right, and the the, the 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 grass area behind the fence, and the you know just the sort of the the grandstand. It's you know it, it's definitely iconic visually. And you turn, I mean, now they broadcast so many of the games, the regionals, and all that. But you you turn it on, and you immediately see it. You know exactly what you're watching, right. which uh, is also kind of a tough thing to find in this day and age. Yeah, no, it was great. Well, uh, I think that was really cool, and it, I don't know how I missed it the last couple seasons. And again, it's probably more because it's uh, a little bit more regional. But um, when I read about it today, and, and then when I saw, I think they did it in 27. I was like, they'd already been doing it for two years. I thought, wow, this is a fantastic uh, opportunity for some little leaguers to get up close and personal with with the major leaguers. And uh, you know, all, all of them, though they may not have played in Williamsport, I know there are a handful or several. Major League Baseball players that have, uh, they all started playing Little League Baseball, 10, 11, 12 years old. So I thought that was a, a great idea for for a league that has been 
chastised for not promoting uh, very well. I, I thought it was a great idea. Right. And uh, I think that's a little bit of a bad rap. I mean, I, I think uh, they could certainly do better, but, uh, you know, you can't force things down people's throats either. You know, it's uh, you're not going to make I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but, you know, you know, why is Donovan Mitchell more popular than Mike Trout on Instagram? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know he's. He's a really good guy. He's a great player. Right. You know, it's a, it's it, it's a it's a tricky space certainly. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think this is definitely the way to go about it. Well, kind of sticking in the minor leagues, you were down in the minor leagues uh, within the last week or so, checking out uh, an MILB game. Uh, I don't think it was with a specific organizational affiliation, but you were more down there to view some of the changes in experimenting that baseball is going through. Uh, and in, some people have maybe read about it. I think down at, is it the Atlantic league where uh, yes. it's not necessarily affiliated with any teams, particularly like uh, maybe say the New York Penn league or uh, you know, the South Atlantic league, et cetera, but they are doing some changes. Um, I know some things that were thrown out there were moving the mound back, uh, using electronic umpires. So you were able to get there and see it up close and personal. What were some of the changes that you saw that they've put in place and, and what were your thoughts around them? Yeah, well, they're using the uh, kind of the robot ump, uh, which is interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, I found that it took about a second and a half for the ump to uh, react uh, to the voice in his earpiece. Uh, and I think the, the weirder thing is actually when it's a ball, mm -hmm. it's, uh, there's no, th you're kind of waiting for this all clear and it's not necessarily evident if it's a regular human ump, uh, you know, you can sort of like see from his body language, uh, oh yeah. Okay. He's calling that a ball. Maybe right. he clicked the ball on his clicker or whatever, or held up his hands to his side or whatever. But in this case, it was like, you know, the pitch hits the mitt. Okay, uh, I guess yeah. that was a ball. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like like, like there's no no action unless it's a strike. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And that and that kicks in pretty quickly. I, I was putting my stopwatch on it. It was about 1.6 seconds, mm -hmm. uh, to two seconds uh, from the time. Uh, so it's a little more, uh, it's a little more, uh, I guess, pronounced uh, than than you typically would see. But uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the biggest thing. Uh, you can steal first base, as they say, on a pass ball that's not a third strike. Uh, I talked to the guy who was really? the first. Really. So 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 that. just yeah. to kind of back up a little bit on a third strike. If there's less than two outs and nobody on first base, everyone – well, maybe not everyone knows, but you can um, run down to first base. They have to throw – the catcher, pitcher, whomever has to throw it to first base to actually get you out. What you're saying now in this case is if it's a second strike and there's no one on first base or, and it's a or even a Or even a wild pitch. Yeah. Or even just a straight-up wild a, pitch, you can run down wild. to first base and, and, and tech, which puts a huge onus on the catcher for any type of pass ball really. Right, absolutely, wow. and uh, yeah, it's uh, so that uh, yeah, and uh, the the first guy who did that uh, plays for the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. I chatted with him a bit. His cleats are in Cooperstown, <laughs> uh, but it's yeah, the, the attitude was pretty good about it all. Uh, I think you know, there's a feeling of 
you know, from their perspective, it seemed like there was this feeling of inevitability that some of these changes were going to bubble upward eventually uh, to the big leagues, which is kind of wild. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was fun to talk to all these stakeholders in this and see how the the game is played. And uh, and it was a very quick game. It was a little more than two hours, uh, which has a lot to do with no commercials. You know, that's uh, I think it's a two oh five break for local games and maybe two and a half for national games. Right. Uh, in, in this case, it, that just wasn't the case. But, uh, you know, and I think they, they play with a with less at stake. Uh, the game is a little more deliberate. There's also no mound visits whatsoever. Interesting. Which, which is interesting. Yeah, it really puts the, uh, you know, the manager in this box there. He sort of has to, you know, kind of bite his tongue and, uh, you know how it is. That mound visit almost always guarantees the next pitch is a strike. <laughs> so, uh, so that it's almost a law. But uh, yeah, so that's. Uh, but it was a very quick game. Uh, it was stifling hot out there, so all the better. <laughs> it was one of those 11 a.m. minor league starts, so that the camp kids were there, and that was pretty much all that was there. But right. it was a, yeah, it was a fun glimpse at what's coming, and I'm looking forward to processing this baby and uh and right yeah writing it up yep so keep an eye out at usa today gabe will be writing up an article about his visit and i don't want to spoil too much of the article but um you know when you look at what you saw um did any of it seem i don't know for lack of a better term like absurd <laughs> you know right like, like there's no way this should be involved in a baseball game you know that type of thing but what what kind of looked like reasonable and and like to me the at first glance, thinking about the the stealing first base thing, I don't like just because um, it just it's too much pressure on the catcher. Uh, it's hard enough to get a guy out in the first place, especially with how tight strike zones are now and and everything. It just seems like man, you, one you know you short hop one curveball on one and zero, and already you got a guy on first. Like it's a, right. it's just the balance between. Uh, a pass ball and a team getting a guy on first base in the bottom of the ninth, like that just seems a little bit too extreme to me. So, I mean, at least from what I just visualizing it, it, that just doesn't seem doable, but I mean, electronic strike zone, obviously that's been talked about and discussed. What, what seemed realistic to you? Yeah, I didn't see the or, or, first you, thing. But yeah, uh, does the stealing the first thing? Am I? Do you feel like I'm in the right zone on that, or do you? Do yeah, you, I think I think you are, and yeah. I think the other thing. I mean, it, it affects two parties. Uh, the the, the catcher and the pitcher. You know, the pitcher has the last thing we need to do is make the pitcher think anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. if okay, if you get a runner to third, and then you have to put that thought in his mind of maybe I don't want to uncork a really nasty breaking ball because I'm okay. That's uh, that's something that the the batter has earned. But if it's just a regular situation where the pitcher has to think about bouncing one and maybe he grips it too tight and he hangs one and it's a home run, yeah, I don't think that's helping anybody. Right. But I think I think my biggest takeaway is, and I know I know you love uh, railing on the umps, and, and you know the, <laughs> the biggest par- parlor game in the world now is screenshotting the uh, you know MLB pitch effects to right. show that uh, you know the, oh it was a millimeter outside. Yeah, yeah. Blair was having a Jerry Davis meltdown at the Giants. Yes, he was. And what's yes, funny is like, I didn't even see it, but I can only imagine what he was watching. <laughs> right, absolutely. Uh, but you kind of, you know, in watching the game through the prism of, you know, is the is the robot going to call it a strike or not, you realize how few really borderline calls there are, uh-huh. you know, that it's uh, what we're talking about here is, uh, you know, turning things over to a uh, – you know, to this automated system and undoing the way we've done business, you know, for more than a hundred years 
basically for the purpose of a handful of pitches. And maybe it's different at the big league level. I mean, these guys were, you know, it was a it was an 11 a.m. game and an independent, you know, independent league game. So maybe these guys were just getting everything over anyway. You know, they're not looking to dot the outside corner because it's Mike Trout. Right, <laughs> you know, right. so maybe, you know, maybe the nature of the way they were attacking hitters was different. But at the same time, uh, it just kind of felt like, well, where's – how much upside are we getting really out of out of doing this? Yeah. So that uh, that kind of jumped out a little Here, bit. Here's where I have the biggest problem with the Major League Baseball strike zones and or where I like to see the electronic strike zones. My issue is I agree with you. It, there is a handful of pitches throughout the game that vastly affect the game. You know, um, I mean, if you're a Giants fan, you see Brandon Belt and how many balls and strikes. He, it's always been something that we've discussed. And a lot of times he's right. And then there's other times as an old school player, you kind of feel like, look, man, that's just too close to take. Right. Swing the damn bat. Exactly. Where <laughs> yeah. I have an issue is when you have umpires who are, say, known for their wide strike zone. And they just right. consistently call that outside two inches that, off the plate. That's my zone. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. my zone. That's where I call. And it's like, but that's not the zone you know it doesn't matter what you think your zone is the rules are it has to be over this plate so bring yourself back into the world exactly and so i think from an electronic strike zone perspective if it was just correcting a handful of pitches or uh or something to that effect I, i would agree i wouldn't be as on board with it where i want it to overhaul the game is those handful of umpires who change the entire game because they've decided that they don't have to abide by baseball's rules because my strike zone where i'm going to decide it is is two inches off the plate and and greg maddox made a living out there he's in the hall of fame because of that or will be or whatever but that to me is is what drives me crazy I, I do kind of like the credibility a pitcher can gain or lose within an individual outing. You know, if he's so good that he's constantly dotting the outer edge of the plate and then is even better as to go expand a millimeter or a centimeter or two hand, wider. Maybe a handful of pitches. Right, exactly. Right, right. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. You know, right. you... You, uh, you 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 get what you earn in a sense. So now that really ticks off a pitcher, but at the same time, you know, or a hitter, I should say. But that's really hard to do, you know. So it's a uh, it's you know if a pitcher can do that, you kind of you know tip your cap a little bit. Right. The uh, the most amazing thing is watching you know vintage Pedro Martinez pitch at Fenway because uh, the you know the crowd is so into it and uh, you know just any pitch you know right. pitch could be six inches off the plate and it's a ball you just hear oh! you know like just this massive miscarriage of justice but yeah he could uh, he could definitely expand the zone a bit uh, you know just with how nasty he was but yeah that would uh, certainly you know certainly take a lot of dynamics out of uh, so many relationships between Pitcher, catcher, um, hitter. <laughs> so, you, you know, you look at it from the perspective of a, of a writer and you talk to some players, but I'm wondering whether on the record or off, if you've talked to any major league umpires and what their feelings are, are they are they nervous about this? Are they, you know, obviously from an umpire's union, um, there's going to be a lot of, but I guess if baseball decides to change their rules and go with this, it doesn't matter that they have an umpire's union. They just... Like it, you know. Like, what, what are you going to do? Sue baseball, but which right. maybe you can. But the, if they don't want to use umpires and it's their game, is there much they can really do about it? And is there any concern from those umpires? Yeah, I think they're very concerned just because they see the whole, you know, the slippery slope of it all, and maybe they disappear altogether. Which, uh, 
seems kind of impossible just because, uh, you know, there's balls and strikes, safe and out, fair and foul, but there's also the rule book. <laughs> and, you know, right. we know any number of weird, uh, you know, weird things can happen. Uh, obstruction, we were talking about the other day, you know, that uh, so many things that can be litigated, uh, guys leaving early uh, on sack flies, which is kind of, you know, legislated by replay, but not 100%. I mean, I don't think they'll fully disappear, but. You know, umpires and players are both very wary of, of Major League Baseball and, uh, you know, sort of the, the labor issues that affect them. And this is definitely that. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, there's definitely a wariness there. And, I, uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see what assurances they get, if any, and, and if there's, you know, any, any sort of labor strife within them if they, uh, you know, if they ever go this route. And, again, we're probably talking three to five years out at, at a minimum, I would think. Just yeah. cause but that's not that a, far. It's not that far. No, it's not. That's such a profound change in the game, I guess. It does, yeah, and on the livelihoods of a lot of people. So, <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know, I, 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 it's more the strike zone thing uh, than anything else that I would be okay with. Um, but I think you know, and I hearken back to the old days of what we used to play garage ball. You know, right. we would tape the strike zone around uh, the garage door against our my family's house, and there wasn't really any arguments because if it was inside the box, it was a strike, and if it wasn't, it was a ball. Like that was it. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. That was. Uh, so yeah. I there, feel like there was, it's was kind of the argument. same concept. You know. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> if we can do it, baseball can do it, right? Although maybe they're. Well, I don't know. What moves more, big leaguers throwing a hard ball or us throwing breaking pitches with tennis balls? Because you could, you could get some, you could get some good action on those things. Uh, definitely. If you're, if you're using the broomstick, you got about uh, what forty-eight inches worth of plate coverage. As well That's too. right. I forgot about the. Uh, I forgot about the broomstick. That yeah. was man. That was tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I think it. Uh, I have to commend you for helping with with BP right there. Right, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I could throw a BP fastball. That's oh, good. yeah, absolutely. Yes, you could. Yes, you could. Oh, boy. Good stuff. Still, well, still can. <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun changes. Uh, I think it's a lot of stuff to discuss. I, I, I'll be interested to see what the split is between the older generation, I guess you could say, because I feel like we're kind of in between. I feel like there is a part, at least for me personally, and you may have a different perspective as a writer of the game, but... I still embrace a lot of the traditional aspects of baseball growing up with it, obviously, but I think I'm also a tweener who embraces technology and, and if we can get it right, why not? You know? So uh, it's an interesting time. I feel like a split between uh, the people watching the game and also playing the game. Right. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, that, that tension is going to be there for a while, you know, and uh, it's, it's kind of the sweet spot they're looking for of, uh, modernizing without alienating that's kind of the big thing <laughs> <laughs> right exactly so keeping a, a at least from a fan's perspective it's still a tradition it's still the traditional game but maybe with some modern tweaks to it to, to make it that much better so uh fun times in the next three to five years i'm sure we'll talk about it a lot more as it kind of gains its way through right now you're just in an independent so you got you know major league baseball has affiliated minor league single a double a you know new york pen league for instance like what i played in you have uh independent minor league leagues like the one that you saw and where these changes are taking place is there a time frame where they're going to move it from maybe an independent non-affiliated minor league uh to uh an affiliated you know uh major league baseball uh minor league uh, league like like a single a new york pen league or something like that rookie that, league that, ball 
That would be the next step, and uh, I think you'll probably see it in the Arizona Fall League first. Yeah, that's kind of what uh, I was thinking, right? Yeah, because that's those those count even less than uh, <laughs> you know. You might the, say than the low A ball that I was in. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's just sort of like a cherry on top season, you might say. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it's going to be uh, yeah, but yeah, I think that's sort of the natural progression from there, and you know, it'll require some significant approval of uh you know all the teams uh, you know to sort of get their give their you know put their assets as they call them under these conditions but yeah i, I know you know nobody's uh nobody's gotten hurt yet nobody's uh, you know no animals have been harmed in the filming of this of these baseball games so yeah i, I think uh, i think you will probably see it uh, in affiliated ball in the next year or two probably any uh any talk about it in college i mean i just i didn't think about it till kind of just now but i i would feel like short term the expense is probably something that's yeah. a little bit of an issue but long term if you don't need umpires it probably pays pays for itself uh the TrackMan technology is pretty uh you know pretty pricey right. to, to okay. sync up a whole a whole stadium that way uh, uh-huh. especially with you know you're you're going to need to make calls anyway so right. you know, it's pretty hard to totally eliminate them but uh, some, some schools do have them but i think to unify it and make the tech uh identical and up to par across every college stadium would be pretty uh, pretty tricky yeah i mean i know i look at uh, we were just going through university of utah and driving around the campus uh several weeks ago on our way back from a little trip and um you know one of the things there is uh, when i was there we played a handful of games at the triple a field downtown but i think now they play like 80 percent of their baseball games at the triple a field downtown they share it with the uh i think it's the triple a team for the twins or the angels i don't remember quite which but you got to figure when you get into stadiums like that it is going to be outfitted or could be outfitted in the future in which case they could maybe take advantage of it and maybe even leak down into to college baseball so anyway just different thought it's a you know it's a domino effect it'll be interesting to see uh where the next league takes execute from and, and what happens so good stuff well, be on the lookout for that article, the USA Today. I uh, want to thank everyone for joining and everyone for uh, coming over on uh, Twitter as well as Instagram. And if you get a chance, pop over to uh, Spotify and our iTunes and leave a nice review there. Uh, this is episode 58. I think one of the better ones. It's always good when we have USA Today baseball editor Gabe Lax giving his thoughts on the state of the game. Uh, now and uh, maybe next time through we'll have a little Brian Blair because I know he's been gambling a little bit so maybe we'll hear it if he's <laughs> going to lose it. <laughs> there, there you go, That's guys. Great. I don't have any thoughts this week, but maybe I'll make a few gambles and uh, maybe a few bets and talk about it next week. So we'll see maybe, how he ended up. <laughs> maybe if we give, maybe if we give him a raise, he'll have uh, more money to gamble with. So right? get him back in the fold. <laughs> <laughs> get him back in the fold. Exactly. Well, want to again thank everyone for joining, and if you get a chance, head over to iTunes, Spotify wherever you find us soundcloud and uh leave us a review and tell your friends for that matter i uh, want to thank uh gabe lax usa today baseball editor this is kelly stratton and uh, we'll be coming at you in a few more weeks with episode 59